Life is full of questions. In this special, very personal Ask Us Anything episode of the podcast, we're answering your questions and we're not holding anything back. From the small and silly to the big and important and everything in between, we reveal things we've never shared publicly before, some stuff our friends and family don't even know. This is probably the most fun we've ever had recording an episode. We hope you enjoy it. This is Life with Amy and Jordan. We had quite a few listeners suggest a fun format idea for a show, and we decided to go for it, which is like an Ask Anything Q&A format. So we've never done an episode like this before, but we think it hopefully will be fun. So we went to Instagram and just asked, hey, like, what would you like to hear about? And so we're just going to start to roll through some of those questions. So let's get started. We've got a big list in front of us, and we'll just knock through as many as we can. And so the first question is kind of a juicy one, which is, what is your pet peeve about each other? How much time you got? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, What are you you even going to say? I love everything. I've got a list. I've been keeping a list. Oh my gosh. Um, Checking it twice. But no, what's funny about this question is that if you, if you know us, right, you know, uh, Amy is the kind of person that not a lot bothers her. Like not a lot ruffles her feathers. Like if you're with her having a conversation or sharing a meal or hanging out, um, she's not like constantly like analyzing things and or overanalyzing things. Um, she's really chill and kind of easy to get along with. And so that works out really well for me as a <laughs> husband because she's not typically like analyzing me or my behavior so much and like coming up with her own pet peeves. I honestly don't even know what I would say my pet peeve is about you. That's a hard question to start with. Yeah. I mean, I tend to have a little more of a critical spirit. <laughs> I'm working on that. Oh my gosh. I feel like Jordan's eyes are already running through a list of all the things that well, bother him about well, me. Well, no, I would say that like, it's probably this, and this is kind of a lighthearted one that if I had to say my, my number one pet peeve about Amy, because she is so chill and nothing really like bothers her or gets under her skin or ruffles her feathers. Probably my number one pet peeve is that to this day, and we've been married over 10 years and granted she has improved so much in this area, but there, I will still find pile like piles of shoes near the the in the laundry room that connects to the garage and so every time it feels like every time I go out to get in the car I'm stepping over the, like three or four or five pairs of shoes that are just piled up together and I, I can remember a quick story I can remember one time saying to saying to Amy kind of like in an irritated tone like is there a reason there's a pile of shoes by the door? Oh, so passive aggressive. <laughs> and she responded with with maybe the best comeback line of all time, <laughs> which was They're having a shoe party. They're having a shoe party. <laughs> and so I think that's one of the things, kind of like my pet peeve about Amy, but also what I love about Amy <laughs> is that she has these this really beautiful outlook on life <laughs> and a way to take like something that might seem irritating to me and turn it into something that's really fun. Um, another quick example was a couple of weeks ago, we were preparing for our small group from church to come over uh, to our house on a Monday evening. And I realized that I didn't have like any beverages to serve. And so I quickly grabbed like some warm sparkling waters, like some LaCroix out of the cabinet. And I put them in the freezer thinking, okay, they'll sit there for 30 minutes and then I'll pull them out. Out, they'll be cold. Then I can offer it to everyone who's coming over. Long story short, three hours later, um, I think it was, it was the next morning. It was the next morning. The next morning, I go to open the freezer to get some ice out, 
and the cans had exploded in the freezer. Because we had just forgotten. We had just forgotten. And there was like frozen icicles everywhere in the freezer. And I was so upset. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's going to take so long to clean the freezer, da da da. And then Amy walked by and said... (laughs) It looks like Elsa's been here from, I don't know if any of you parents out there, Frozen, the movie Frozen, um, Elsa. I just realized that if you've never seen that movie, it doesn't make any sense. But it really looked like Elsa had visited our freezer. It was like, I mean, if you really look at it, it was like a magical frozen experience, just icicles all over the freezer. Yeah. So I I guess it's like my pet peeve. Amy just turned my negative into a positive. She's that good um, that my pet peeve is actually something I love about her. But I mean, I think for me, well, you have a pet peeve about me, don't you? If you really thought about it. I mean... Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. I thought of one. I was going to say, because if you don't say something, I have a lot of pet peeves about myself. No. I'm an, e- I'm an e- equal opportunity criticizer. I thought of one. And it's that every time you have anything slightly wrong with you physically. So if you have like a cough or a sniffle. I know where this is going. Or a headache or like an ache in one of your joints. Every time you immediately diagnose diagnose yourself with something terminal and you're like convinced you're going to die every time, every time you're like Googling WebMD, you're on WebMD and you're like, see these three symptoms of like headache, sore back, I'm going to die. Like it's, it's always (laughs) terminal. Um, I think there's one in every married couple. And you know which one you are. And it's been like over 10 years of this, like every single time. And it doesn't seem, it doesn't matter how many times you're proved wrong. Every time you still go right to that thing. But but one time I will be proved right. (laughs) I mean, eventually, (laughs) I guess. But yeah, that's definitely mine. I mean, in my defense, I would say there is a sweetness to my morbidity, um, which is that I've often told you that, you know, one day if I ever lost you, I would never move that pile of shoes by the door or the pile of clothes in the closet because it would be a forever reminder of our life and the way it was and how much I loved you and maybe tolerated your quirks. <laughs> I like how you just slipped in also the pile of clothes in the closet. Well, it's just that if the shoes and the clothes were picked up, I could also remember you one day. Other ways. I guess I could turn so around it's not and so say, sweet. although it's not really a pet peeve of mine, I call you the Danny Tanner of our house, the way that you love to clean. Um, and, but it's not a pet peeve of mine. I actually really love it. So I guess you'll just have to continue to appreciate my shoe parties. We digress. Let's move on to a few <laughs> a few kind of like fun, quick hit questions. Um, okay, and here's one. What shows are you liking right now? Oh, so many come to mind. I think one of our favorites of all time is Parenthood. We've talked about that before. Uh, Parenthood isn't on currently, but it's on, I think, Netflix or Hulu. Uh, We stream it all the time. That's definitely one of my favorites. What would be one of your favorites? I think we're both big Shark Tank fans. Like Shark Tank is maybe the only show that we're kind of like actively like every we do like one day delayed. So we don't watch live Sunday night. We yeah, watch on Monday. But like, I feel like every Sunday toward the fall, we're both kind of like, is Shark, Shark Tank, Tank back? Is Shark Tank back? That's true. So I do love Shark Tank. It kind of feeds like our entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. I think. We like like deciding whether or not they should get a deal or like if we like if it was a good pitch or if we could have pitched it better or uh, we just like having, I don't know, maybe that's like the business nerd in us. We really like having those conversations. Yeah. Okay. Here's another one. Favorite ice cream flavor. Ooh, yes. <laughs> Um, easy for me would be Ben and Jerry's half baked, which is like 
part brownie, part cookie dough with both vanilla and chocolate ice cream. So it's basically like my answer is basically like all the flavors in one cup is what it is, is what half baked <laughs> is. It's so good. Brownie and cookie dough, vanilla and chocolate. That's my favorite. Ooh, although also our other favorite, we love ice cream, would be premium vanilla ice cream from Costco uh, mixed with cookie butter from Trader Joe's. Oh, if you've never tried cookie butter from Trader Joe's, you're about to have your life changed. Give it a try. Although you might hate us because it's not good for the waistline, but it tastes so good. Yeah. Okay. Here's another one that's in the same genre and category is what is your favorite movie? Oh, favorite movie. I kind of go back to like some old like stand, like some old true standbys, which for me, I think like my all time favorite movie is probably The American President. Yeah. And that's just because I, I have a love for politics and a love for current events and government and all that kind of stuff. I just love that movie. I always have. Um, another one that you just can never go wrong with. I kind of judge favorite movies by your your. You're like, you're randomly are on TNT and it's two <laughs> o'clock on a Saturday. <laughs> like, do you stop and watch? Do you it? stop and watch? And the one that I always stop and watch is the Shawshank Redemption. Oh. There is just something about that movie that's so captivating. Morgan Freeman, it's so good. And, I, and when I was growing up, my dad used to say to me all the time, like, every young boy should watch the Shawshank Redemption um, because there are so many life lessons baked into that movie. Like, but don't go to jail. That would be one. Yes, yeah. that would be one. But yeah, it, it's really good. So, that I mean, that's for me. What about you? Oh gosh, I don't know. I'm trying to think. It's hard. I feel like it's a different test because, like, ones that you might watch randomly when they're on TV are different than ones you just select. I think I really love probably one of my favorite movies that I want to watch once a year around Christmas time is The Holiday with uh, Jack Black, Kate Winslet, Mr. Napkinhead, yeah, um, and Jude Law. I love that movie, and I think there's something about because it like takes place around Christmas time. It feels like every year I want to watch it around that time. And I feel like The Holiday has kind of this like 1990s kind of like spirit and essence and messaging. I don't think where, it's from the 90s. No, I know. It's but, from later. But I think one, one of the things I, I love about movies from the 90s is heartwarming. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of heartwarming all the way through. Yeah. Um, okay. So along the same lines, um, and I think this is, might provoke a little story for me as I was reading the question. What was your first favorite childhood movie? Oh, uh, Little Mermaid for me. <laughs> or or C- maybe Cinderella. Cinderella or Little Mermaid would be... In my top two. Yeah, I mean, so here's the thing. A lot of people, my family knows this about me, but I don't think anyone outside of my family knows this about me. I was imaginative as a kid. Um, I was... I don't want to call myself strange because I don't think I was strange, but I was definitely very creative and very imaginative. (laughs) And I kind of lived in my own little mind and my own little world. And so one of my favorite movies uh, growing up was... Well, Sleeping Beauty obviously was one of them. and then, Obviously? Is yeah. that obvious? Well, I don't know. Like, would that be obvious? <laughs> is that obvious to most little boys? No, it's I not. Don't I don't so. know why. Maybe it was like The Princess and The Prince. I don't know. Um, but Sleeping Beauty was definitely one of my favorites. Um, but also, I like Cinderella. And I can remember. <laughs> oh, see, this is why we're meant to be. Because I also loved Cinderella. Right. And so I don't remember this, obviously, because I was too young. But and I- it wasn't. The, there was Cinderella, the Disney animated version. And then there was Cinderella, which both of our moms raised us on the Leslie Ann Warren. That's the only right version. It's like a live action Cinderella with real human beings. And we both watch it as kids. And most people have never even heard of the Leslie and Warren version of Cinderella. But yeah. So here's my weird little kid story. (laughs) So I I think I I must have been around four or five years old. 
Um, maybe a little younger, maybe a little later. I'm sure after this episode, my mom will text me and correct me on it because she remembers this stuff. Like she has a memory, like a hot, she does. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I, apparently when I was around five years old, um, I was at church with my family and I was in line to receive communion at church. And apparently when I got up to the front of the line where the priest was standing, you know, like in his robe and he was holding his chalice. Right. And, and I, <laughs> and he looked down and he said, what's your name? And normally you would give the priest your name. Like my name is Jordan. Right. And that was, that started the communion process. And, um, I apparently that day I had taken a scarf and I had put the scarf or I don't know what it was over my head. Like I was like Cinderella when she's like, when she's like a peasant, the peasant, yeah, yeah. peasant Cinderella. <laughs> and he said, your name. And apparently I looked up at the priest and in front of everybody else in line said, Cinderella. <laughs> You can imagine how proud my parents were. And uh, and and I guess the, my mom, the way my mom tells the story, because she was right behind me in line, um, that the priest had a good sense of humor. And he he kind of like kind of kind of gave me a little kind of smile. And he looked down at me and he said, OK, Cinderella, like, here's your communion. And I just thought like, hey, man, what a cool priest to play along with that, you know. But anyway, so that's a fun childhood that's story. That's like Demos family folklore. Like, I think they started telling me that story when I Jordan and I started dating uh, when we were still seniors at high school. And so I think I was probably 17 years old the first time I heard that story. And I feel like I've heard it probably once a year I think since. like internally I'm already dreading like the rest of my life when every single one of my friends for the first time, the next time I see them, hey there, Cinderella. <laughs> like, oh, so you're listening, huh? <laughs> um, oh, here's a quick one. Breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Yes. yes. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> uh, who squishes the bugs in your house? Jordan, 100% of the time. 100% of the time. I love being married because I have someone who will constantly squish the bugs. It is like so funny to that me. That should though. be like, in our vows. Yeah. When there's, when there's a bug to squash or there's like a loud noise like late at night that comes from a different part of the house – I always kind of look at Amy and I'm like, oh, I guess I have to go do this. I have never claimed to be a feminist. <laughs> I'm all about the husband squashing the bugs. Uh, let's see. How did you know it was time for baby number two? Ooh, this one is a little bit more serious. I think for us, and this is different for everyone. We have, as you know, we, or may, may or may not know, we have a whole episode where we talk about the decision to have our first baby. And that was a really big years and years and years, like eight year long decision. And so we talk a, a whole episode about that. Um, as far as uh, deciding baby number two, I think it was a little simpler for us this time around. Um, a, because now we know what parenting is like and we know the the challenges and the joys. And of course, I'm sure there's a different set of challenges and joys that come with each baby. Um, but we knew, uh, we share in the episode, we ha always talked about how much we wanted a family. And so I think for us, we knew that we weren't going to be done at one. Um, and so it was just a matter of when it was the time for the next one. And because we did wait a while to have our first one, I'm already, how old am I? 32. Um, I'm already 32. And so we were just kind of doing the math and thinking like, okay, we'd like for the, for our kids to be kind of close in age, we think. And also just like math wise on uh, biology, like we're, we're just going to factor those things in. And it just kind of 
I don't know. I think it just kind of felt right. It just kind of felt like it was time. I wish there was a better way to like give advice to people who are thinking about when it's time to start the next one. But we just like to think about what our family is going to be like in the future, because I think it's overwhelming to think about having maybe two kids in diapers or two kids in car seats or um, you know three kids in car seats or four kids in car seats, right? I think that part feels overwhelming. But then I also think, what's it going to be like when they're 10 and eight, for example? And then it starts to to feel like, oh, yeah, I would love that. So that's probably the number one deciding factor, I think, for us was thinking about what it will be like in future years and not just the little years, because the little years, I think, can be the most um, intimidating when it comes to having a lot at once. Yeah. And kind of along those same lines, we had another question, which is how many kids do you want? Um, <laughs> and one of one of the, the expressions that I love before we answer that, one of the expressions that I love is two things can be true at the same time. So whenever people ask us, how many kids do you want? Uh, because I came from a family of four, I immediately say four. And Amy says one at a time. <laughs> and both of those can be true at the same time. So I'm definitely open to a bigger family. I was an only child until I was 14. And then my parents had my little brother. So I come from a much quieter, smaller family. But I do love our big, the big fat Greek family that I have married into and it's continually growing. So um, I think we're definitely open to whatever God has for us. But at the same time, I'm definitely committing to one at a time and not any specific number. Yeah, here's one that's along the same lines. This We got this one a lot, which is how did you come up with Beckett's name? Was oh, it yeah. easy or hard? Oh, yeah, that's a great one. Um, for us, it was easy in a way because we decided on once we found out he was a boy, we decided on his middle name. Um, basically, immediately, it was something that we had talked about before we knew the gender. And we wanted his middle name to be Harry, which is Jordan's dad's name. Jordan is Jordan's dad is just one of those incredible dads who made such an impact on Jordan's life and has left such a legacy of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a husband. And he, we just wanted to honor Harry. Yeah. And at the same time, I had always kind of had this idea in my mind that if we ever had a son, I wanted to name him Noah. And so I had this idea in my mind that we were going to name our son Noah. But once we decided on kind of the anchor of his name being Harry as the middle name, I looked at Amy and I was like, we got the name. It's Noah Harry Demos. We were like, oh, no, that no. sounds like a sentence. Like, <laughs> do you know a Harry Demos? And I'm like, yes, because we're Greek. <laughs> All the Demoses are Harry because <laughs> they're a Greek family, right? So we like, were like, I had a beard when I was like nine, right? <laughs> we can't do Noah Harry Demos. It sounds like a sentence. So we had to cross that off the list, even though we love the name Noah, because we wanted to keep the family name Harry and more. And af after that, it was pretty simple. I mean, I actually, I can remember because there was, there was one night where I had gone to bed mm -hmm. and you had stayed up that night. Yeah. You had gone to bed. You had stayed up that night reading a list of like a thousand yeah. baby boy names. I Googled. It was like a I, on my phone. I just Googled like a list of like top 1000 baby names. And I think it was number like 287 or something. I saw the name Beckett. I had never heard it before. I'd never seen it before. And when I saw it, I just thought, I love that name. And so I woke up the next morning and Amy Amy looked at me and I was still groggy, right? I'm still trying to wake up. Like, who knows if I even had my, my glasses on because my contacts were out. And she, I hear her say, I think I know our son's name. 
<laughs> I was like, great. Like, <laughs> And I was actually really excited that Jordan really liked it too. And I think when we're talking about baby names, we're always talking about what will the nickname end up being? Because a lot of times you don't necessarily have a ton of control over the nickname, but you can kind of see like, oh, this name, like I love this long name, but I don't necessarily like the nickname that comes from it. But with Beckett, we just thought Bex was such a cute nickname and we loved it so much. So yeah. it was like, we like the full name. We like the nickname. It goes well with Harry, Beckett, Harry Demos. And and, and then when she when Amy uh, decided that she wanted to name Beckett Beckett, um, we didn't yet know the gender. Right. And so we had a girl name in our back pocket that is a that is a family name. And we'll be sharing that in a future episode um, because we we are pregnant with a daughter and uh, she's scheduled to arrive sometime, uh, hopefully in late January or early February of next year. Um, So we have the name for her because that was something we had decided on, you know, before we knew if Beckett was a boy or a girl. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was funny because we drove to our appointment to find out the the, the 20 week appointment to find out Beckett's gender. And we had that name in our back pocket, uh, Beckett, ready to go. So as soon as she said, it's a boy, we said, okay, it's Beckett Harry Demos. And yeah, on we the, named him that day. We named him that day. And um, that's something that for us, just personally, we know everyone does it different, but it's really fun for us. As soon as we know the gender, we like to give our babies a name so that we can refer to them that way and talk to them in the womb. And um, just like as a personal thing, like we we believe that that babies are fully human in the mm-hmm. womb. And so we want to honor them like, like full humans. And we want to, we want to, call them by their name. And mm-hmm. so that's just an us thing. It's not an everyone thing, but. But in case you're wondering what is naming your second baby, that one we won't be answering today. No, not today. <laughs> but we did quit quite, quite a few people asking, are you going to find out the gender of your baby? And yes, Jordan blew right through it. But yes, we found out um, that we are having a girl. So we're going to have a boy and a girl. We're Aww. so excited. And um, someone else asked, what are we most excited about for having a daughter, since right now we only have a son, what are we excited about about having it? So what what for you is it? Oh man, I, you know I think for me, uh, well, there, I think there are a couple things that I'm that I'm excited for having a daughter. I think probably like <laughs> this may be like a silly reason, but I think one of the things that we've talked about, we've kind of like talked about like Corey and Topanga from Boy Meets World <laughs> and how they knew each other from the time they were five years old, um, and and they played in the sandbox together. And I think for me, like your mom is a prolific scrapbooker and mm-hmm. keeps amazing like records. Like there is just volumes upon volumes of Amy's childhood. I think that's the blessing of a single child. There are like eight pictures of me in all of existence, <laughs> right? Because my, my mom. The second child. Well, and was, the third one came fast. Yeah, I think yeah. That my mom just couldn't catch us all. You know, <laughs> like three boys, we were like monkeys in a tree somewhere. But I think for me, when I look back at those old scrapbooks and I see photos of like little Amy playing at the park <laughs> or you know whatever whatever the situation is, um, I've kind of t- joked with Amy that like maybe if I had a regret in life, one of my biggest regrets is that we didn't meet until we were 14 and we didn't start dating until we were 17. And if I could do life over again and kind of start with you at ground zero, (laughs) like Corey and Topanga, like Corey and Topanga, I wish that we could have had those early childhood because I we're best friends and we love (laughs) spending time together. And I wish that we could have had some of those like childhood experiences together. Um, And so I think the idea for me of uh, the idea of having a daughter gets me excited because I feel like I'm going to get to kind of like I don't know, like not relive Amy's childhood because that's that's kind of weird, but like just that I'm going to get to experience all of those childhood things with a little Amy. And so I'm excited for that. 
Um, I think the other thing that I'm excited for is, and this is, I'm projecting this onto our daughter. This may not be her personality type. And, you know, however she is, is totally <laughs> fine with me. But I think that generally speaking, boys are a little wilder and a little more rambunctious. And Bex loves shoulder to shoulder time with me. Mm-hmm. Like he loves going exploring, looking for rocks, going to the <laughs> playground, like throwing balls. Like he just likes being busy and active. And I know the girls like being busy and active as well. But I also notice and observe from a lot of, from, from my brother and from a lot of our friends who have daughters, a lot of times it seems like the boys like that shoulder to shoulder time and the girls really enjoy a lot of face to face time. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm looking forward to being able to just cuddle up with her on the couch and watch a movie and not always have to not always have to be wild and rambunctious like I am with Beckett. So I I think those would be my my two really good answers. Okay, one more. (laughs) Sorry, one more. And this is just like a purely like this is just this is like kind of like up there and philosophical. And I really believe that whatever genders uh, your children are, that was God knew what he was doing and God doesn't make mistakes. And so, but I think for me, I'm really, really grateful to be able to have a son and a daughter because I believe that there are a number of really unique life experiences. Uh, getting married is a unique life experience. Having a son is a unique life experience. Having a daughter is a unique life experience. And so when we found out we were having a girl, I started kind of thinking out, you know, it's 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. And I realized, oh my gosh, we're going to get to throw a wedding. Uh, like we're going to get yeah. to, you know, invite our friends to come celebrate you know, when our daughter gets married, I'm going to get to walk someone down the aisle. I think I get really excited. Yeah, I think being wedding things. photographers, we can't help but think about those like wedding moments. Yeah, and since she can't get married until she's 50, if we just put some money into an investment now, we can throw a great wedding. There you go. Yeah, Dave Ramsey would approve of that. <laughs> I, I got to call Jordan out because we just recently got back from photographing a wedding in New York. And when Jordan was watching the father-daughter dance, I caught him getting teary for the very first time we photographed over 100 weddings. And I've never seen that before. And so I thought that was so sweet. This also makes my answer feel kind of shallow because I feel like my gut reaction was like, oh, I can't wait to like do little girl clothes like bows and ruffles. And that, that sounds like so shallow. Well, I said to you Jordan's this morning, answers. I don't know how to dress a girl. Yeah. One thing I'm not looking forward to is figuring out how to do girl hair because I'm really bad at my own hair. If she's like our son, she won't have hair until she's two. That's true. So I'll have plenty of time to learn. Um, okay, let's let's move on. Um, <laughs> let's kind of slide out of the parenting category for a second and okay. let's kind of take a question or two maybe about marriage. Okay. Um, and so I think this is a really good one. Somebody said, what are your Enneagram numbers and how do you use them to be better together? Oh, yeah. So Enneagram, I wouldn't say we're super familiar with Enneagram. Like we haven't read the book. We're not, we would are definitely not experts at the Enneagram. Enneagram is like one of those personality um, assessments where once you know your number, it helps you understand more about yourself. And Jordan's sister is like really into this and she has read the book and she knows all the things. So she's kind of like our Enneagram in-house expert. Um, so So she came back and was telling us all about the Enneagram and like asking us to wanted us to take the test. And she was telling us how, you know, each number, whatever number you are, that's like sums up your personality. And so Jordan immediately goes, well, which number is the best? (laughs) And she was like, Exactly. Um, and so, so she said, exactly, a, you, you are, are an, an eight. An eight. <laughs> an eight is the challenger. And the challenger, I think the number one uh, sentence that the challenger says is like, 
you have opinion, I have fact, right? Yes. <laughs> and that's totally Jordan. And so the fact that he was like, which What's one funny is, is the as best? As you were telling that story, I was thinking, I'm so embarrassed. And I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> because that's a fact, right? right? It's the best. Yeah. And for me, I'm an Enneagram 9, um, which is the peacemaker. And I just like go along to get along and avoid conflict at all costs. And that's, that's me in a nutshell. So uh, we don't know a ton about it, like we've said, but it's been really fun to kind of every once in a while, someone will bring up like, oh, that's such a nine thing to say, or like, oh, that's such an eight thing to believe. So it has been fun to kind of dig into the Enneagrams a little bit. Um, Here's a fun one. Uh, Oh, I lost it. There it is. What is the favorite date night that you've ever had? Oh, wow. I think our answers are going to be different for this. You go first. Okay. Favorite date night ever. Man, that's really challenging. I would say probably if I'm if like the first thing that came to mind was our prom night. Uh, Jordan and I were high school sweethearts. We went to senior prom together. And before we went to the prom, we went on a really fancy dinner date that was like the fanciest steakhouse. I never, I don't think I'd ever been to a steakhouse. We were 18, 17 and 18 years old. And so we we went like in our prom attire and I've shared a, the photo a couple times on Instagram before, but for our senior prom, I wore the biggest, poofiest, pinkest dress, like bubblegum pink, almost like something like Galinda would wear in Wicked. Like <laughs> that was what I wore to prom. And I had this really tight, slicked back updo um, on top of my head. It was just like the ultimate looking back. It was like the ultimate prom look. And Jordan was wearing this all white tuxedo, yeah, it was. which he thought, <laughs> there it is, the fact <laughs> instead of the opinion, there's the eight coming out of him. He's still proud of it, which I love. <laughs> and so we went in our all white tuxedo and our pink poofy prom dress. And we went to a really nice fancy steakhouse in that attire. And I remember like walking through the dining hall, getting seated. And of course, everyone else is in like their regular like date night type clothes. And here we are in like, I look like Glinda from Wicked. <laughs> um, and I was just glowing and beaming and felt like a literal princess that night. And we sat down and I remember just the service was incredible. I almost felt like we were on, um, like in that, in the beauty and the beast movie and the BR guest scene, like they were just all so everything felt so fancy. It was the first time I'd ever been at a restaurant where they like wipe the crumbs with a knife in between your courses. Scrape the crumbs? Yeah. Sorry. Not wipe. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> wipes doesn't sound as fancy. Sorry. They, scrape. They get the wet wipes out. And they, they <laughs> <laughs> it was a very fancy joint. No, but I think like that night I felt like so special and it was one of my favorite yeah, memories. I mean, what ever. I remember about that night was being on the dance floor. And you know, like in, in high school, there, there are seasons in high school where you're so concerned about peer pressure. And you're so concerned about what everybody else around you thinks. And I can remember being on the dance floor at the very front of the dance floor, <laughs> just dancing the night away and together really and not really even caring about anyone else, what they thought. Um, what other people were doing because we were just so happy in our own little world that nothing else really mattered. Um, I think my favorite day night, it's hard because I know we've had a lot of fun day Mm -hmm. nights, but I think one of my favorite date nights, a few years ago, um, we had the opportunity to photograph a surprise proposal for, uh, for a professional football player and his now wife, yes. then girlfriend. Yes. And then after we photographed it, obviously fiance. Yes. Um, and, and I know sometimes they listen. Shout out to Joe and Megan. Yeah, if you're what's listening. up guys? <laughs> um, and, and they are just awesome. And so I remember um, the we, we flew in 
to Paris a few days early. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we flew into we flew into Paris and it was like three or four in the afternoon when we arrived. And so I remember taking like a like a cab or an Uber to our hotel. Um, we were so tired that we went up right up to our hotel room and we took a really long nap. <laughs> and then I, that was not that's not the fun, that's not the day part. Um, and then we woke up and it was later in the evening, like seven thirty, eight o'clock at night. And I feel like it was more like nine and nine? we were like, oh no, we missed, we missed dinner. dinner. And <laughs> then we remember that, that in, in Europe and specifically in Paris, a lot of times people don't go eat dinner until much later at night. And so I can remember just like, like getting dressed, going down the elevator, walking down the street from our hotel and just finding like kind of a quiet, quaint, cozy corner, um, side street. And there was a little French bistro that had the front, you know, the little marble, small marble tables for two and the bistro chairs and the red awning and the servers who had the, the napkin over their arm. And it was just like, hustling and bustling at like nine or nine 30 at night. Mm, it it was, was packed. packed. And I can remember sitting down and it was so tight that we were literally rubbing elbows with like the Parisians that were there for dinner also. <laughs> and I can remember we ordered steak and frites, which is like mm. what you ordered. Right. And we had a glass of wine and we were so close to this guy next to us that he was literally like, it was like he was using my plate as an ashtray. Yes. His was, cigarette was <laughs> like in his fingers and like, then like hanging over, over his table onto on my plate right? with like his cigarette ashes falling into the but, plate. And that was obviously not great, but I, <laughs> but it kind of was. It kind of was. And I remember just sitting there and looking around us and I there's this line from Hamilton which is our favorite um our favorite Broadway, uh, Broadway musical, musical. Mm-hmm. and it's kind of a line that we've kind of adopted for life and there's this line where I think it's either Angelica or Eliza and they're talking about being in New York at the time of the revolution mm-hmm. and how blessed they are and they say look around look around how lucky we are to be alive right now mm-hmm. um and I remember in that moment sitting there thinking like look around like the lights of Paris the side street the hustle and the bustle and I just looked around and thought, man, how lucky we are to be alive right now. And so there was nothing super special about the food that night. And, you know, but for me, that was definitely it. Yeah, I love that memory. That's a good one. Okay, um, so- let's see. Let's go to our list here. What's another question? Um, let's do a quick one. What is your favorite Taylor Swift song off the newest album, Lover? <laughs> um, so what is your favorite song? Well, I think we both mutually love I Forgot That You Existed. I Forgot That You Existed. It's the first one. It just like has the best beat. Yeah. And it's and Beckett really likes bobbling his little head to that one too. So I would say for me, it's I Forgot That You Existed. Yeah, I think for me, like outside <laughs> of that one, which is kind of our mutual favorite, I really love the song London Boy. And the reason I love London Boy so much is that I played youth soccer, really competitive youth soccer growing up. And I grew up watching like professional soccer games in England on the weekends. I mean, I was here, I was watching them on TV. And so I think I always had this kind of like romantic idea that one day I would, you know, grow up and become a professional soccer player in Europe <laughs> and I would marry like an English girl, right? <laughs> wow. Wow. Great. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Which like fortunately, fortunately for me, I got to marry an Irish Italian girl. Mm-hmm. That's Amy. But nice I think I always had this like I, this romantic idea of like meeting this girl with this accent in a foreign city or something. Um, so for me, probably London Boy. I do love London Boy. It has a really good beat. <laughs> Um, okay, let's move into a little bit more. Uh, let's stay in marriage for a second. Um, so uh, we got this question quite a bit, like two or three different versions of this question, which is how do you make sure that your spouse is thriving in life? Or how do you help your spouse thrive in life? We got a lot of questions mm-hmm. about that. And so we wanted to answer that one. Um, I think kind of just 
on a very foundational level, Amy and I don't believe that it's like, I don't believe that it's my responsibility to make sure that Amy is thriving. In the same way, I don't believe it's my responsibility to make Jordan thrive. But I think it is really important that we're focused on our own personal actions, behaviors, and decisions to be the very best that we can be as a spouse. Right. Yeah. I mean, I just don't, like Amy said, we don't believe, I don't believe it's my job to make sure that Amy is thriving, but I do believe it's my job to make sure that I am serving. Mm. And so let me say that one more time. I don't believe that it's my job to make sure that Amy is thriving, but I do believe it's my job to make sure that I'm serving. And we heard an author one time, um, it's in the book, I believe Love and Respect Mm -hmm. by Emerson Egrich. And he talks about this idea of some couples are on the energizing cycle and some couples are on the crazy cycle. And the couples who are on the energizing cycle are couples who wake up every day and try to outserve each other. It's called like a service competition, right? And so on the days when I wake up and I decide, you know what, I'm going to do everything I can today to serve Amy um, and, 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 and love her the very best that I can. Those days we tend to be on the energizing cycle. And I think that when we, when we serve each other the best that we can every single day, that's something that thriving is kind of a natural outgrowth of that. And so mm-hmm. I think that the idea of thriving is kind of like the symptom or the, the, the kind of the outcome or the consequence of the, the daily habits and the daily action of loving and serving each other really, really well. And mm. in a marriage context, every couple is different. Something that we've learned is that there are certain principles that kind of cut across all married couples. But also within each marriage, every couple brings different they're a, a different schema, a different history, a different past, different baggage. They bring different thoughts and ideas and expectations. We talked about that in a previous episode. And I think one of the best things that you can do is have really good, honest conversations with your spouse about their wants, needs, and desires, and then do the very best you can as their spouse to serve them and help fill some of those wants, needs, and desires. And there are some great books out there. Like we mentioned, mm-hmm. Love and Respect is a great book. His Needs, Her Needs is a great book. Five the- Love Languages is a really great one. Understanding how your spouse feels loved. So maybe it's uh, through words of affirmation or maybe it's through quality time and understanding which, uh, or maybe it's acts of service. So figuring out which ways do I feel loved and then which ways does my spouse feel loved a lot of time is really different. And so it's just a really great thing to keep in mind, the idea of like trying to outserve, like the same way that Jordan is trying to serve me, I'm trying to outserve him. And if we, we're, we're both pretty competitive people, right? <laughs> so if we kind of take on that mentality of like- I'm like, no, you will be the happiest <laughs> wife in the world because I will make sure of it. And we're kind of like, competing on that, like loving and serving and respecting the other spouse. And we're each trying to outdo the other in that way. That's when things really thrive. And I think one of the things that's really, it's one of the reasons that it's really important to understand each other's love languages is because it's possible to serve your spouse in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that, that Amy's primary love language is not acts of service. Mm -hmm. It's quality time. It's quality time. But sometimes because I am someone who my primary love languages are words of affirmation Mm -hmm. and acts of service, Mm -hmm. sometimes what I do is I take my love languages and I say really nice things to Amy and affirm her. And then I also do actions that serve her. An example would be like, 
I see that the house is messy. So I go into full on crazy Jordan cleaning mode and think that I've done something to serve her. And while she appreciates that, Amy's actually a quality time person. And so if I had said to Amy, it's way more of a turn on to Amy, right? If I say, hey, let's leave the mess that's in the house right now. And let's go like snuggle in bed, watch Netflix, no chill. <laughs> that is like music to Amy's ears. And so, and so, no, it's true. It's true for most wives, right? And so for me, like that is the way that I actually serve her best. And it took me a little while in our marriage to learn that because sometimes I was doing things that were serving myself, like cleaning or tidying up because I care I about that. I do remember there was a time when you decided to reorganize the cabinets in the garage, which I think is a noble quest. <laughs> I spent like course. four hours in the Arizona summer heat. But then it was kind of like a, hey, like I did this for you. And I was like, oh, but did you really? Because we both know you love to clean and organize. I'm like, I did all that work and nothing. And I was like, like, I would rather have spent that four hours like talking or on a date, you know? So I think that's definitely an important one for us to keep in mind. And we're constantly trying to improve in that area. Yeah. Let's switch over for a second, just to a couple funny, kind of like fun, lighthearted, quick hits. Um, How do you take your coffee? Oh, well, I'm going to answer for both of us. Jordan takes it like a man, I always say. (laughs) That's a pure Enneagram 8 when like the server comes over and was like, or like on an airplane, they'll be like, what would you like to drink? And I'm like, coffee, you know, and and they'll kind of like say like cream or sugar. And I'll say, no, I take it like a man. He It's almost like a pride (laughs) thing. Like he just drinks his coffee black, no cream, no sugar. There's nothing inherently masculine about drinking black coffee. (laughs) No. It means you have no taste buds. Yeah, but for the most refined taste buds. Oh, I like that spin there. But so I'm kind of the opposite where I do. I love latte. I like for the coffee to be creamy and sweet. So over time, I've been able to like cut down on the sugar. So like a Starbucks order. Now I would say half sweet, meaning like half the pumps of like a vanilla latte, for example. Um, But yeah, the creamier the coffee, the better for me. And the sweet. I wouldn't say the sweeter, kind of like half sweet. Is I, Jordan's dream for me one day is to also drink the coffee black, <laughs> probably because A, it, it would uh, be more cost effective. Um, but B, B, it would be right. Right, right. That's the eight Enneagram coming out in him. <laughs> um, we got another question, which is what are your favorite podcasts that you're listening to right now? Ooh, um, my favorite one is I love listening to Craig Groeschel. We can link it in the show notes. Um, but Craig Groeschel is a lead pastor of a giant shirt. I think it started in Oklahoma. Um, and every week he puts his sermons online on his podcast. And his church is called Life Church. And we can link that in the show notes too. I just love listening to his sermons. So he's my go-to because not only does he do, uh, he links his sermons in his podcast, but he has a separate podcast called The Craig Groeschel Leadership Podcast. And he speaks just once a month, once a month to business leaders. And I love that perspective too. Um, so I would say those are two of my favorites are both Craig Rochelle. I'm just digging yeah. his stuff right now. I would say for me, my favorite podcast that I'm listening to right now is by a pastor named Andy Stanley. And Andy Stanley uh, is the lead pastor of a church in Atlanta called North Point church or I think North Point Community Church. And I really enjoy going back and just listening to his past sermons on podcasts when I'm at the gym. I feel like now because we have we have Beckett, uh, it is a little bit harder for me sometimes to find time to do like, intentional Bible reading. And sometimes when I do Bible reading, it's hard for me to always kind of like get the full context or, or, or understand what it is really saying without hearing somebody go deeper. And so I really enjoy listening to Andy. He's really good. Yeah, I say it like he's my friend. I'm like, <laughs> my I'm like friend. Andy. Andy's my buddy. And I was just thinking, um, 
we also, if we didn't live here and attend our church locally, um, another pastor we would recommend on podcast form would be our own church. We go to Christ Church of the Valley, uh, CCV, and they also put their sermons online. Um, our senior pastor, Ashley Wooldridge, and we have another teaching pastor, Mark Moore. They're both incredible. Um, and if we were ever in a position where we're like out of town or something, we would always catch up on that first, but we're kind of assuming that we saw that on the weekend. And so these would be like our weekday catch up if that makes sense. Yeah, perfect. Um, oh, here's a really good one. So what do you miss about teaching elementary school? Aww. That is a good question. I definitely just miss the relationship with the kids. Uh, I taught fourth grade, so they were 10 years old. And 10-year-olds are just so cool. They're just like little people. They've got so many ideas and opinions, but they're still sweet and still have that innocence in so many ways. So I just miss like them coming in in the morning and telling me about their weekends and about what's going on in their lives. They were just the sweetest and funniest. And I think one of the things I miss the most about them is they were so unfiltered still. <laughs> like They just were honest all the time. And they also pointed out observations all the time that as adults, we probably wouldn't say because we've been trained time, not to. One time, uh, the kids would always come up. Each of us had a procedure where every morning the kids would read for 30 minutes and they would come up to our desk one while we time, while we yeah. checked their their reading logs. And that was our chance to spend 30 seconds with each child and just say like, hey. Like look them in the eye. Like, talk to them let's about use the name Johnny because I feel like yeah. that's a generic name. Yeah. I was like, we hey. never taught a kid yeah. named Johnny. <laughs> I remember one morning, I think this was my class or was this your class? I think it was my class. And and he walked up to my desk and I was like, hey, Johnny, good morning. Like, how was your night last night? And, <laughs> and he looked at me and said, my dad slept on the couch. Oh, yeah. I was like, okay. Yeah. And I had a, a little boy say, my daddy looks like a gorilla every morning, especially today. <laughs> I was like, One of the hardest things about being an elementary school teacher is that the kids will say things like this. And then like, it feels like the next week the parents are in for parent-teacher conferences. Yeah. One of my favorite lines at parent-teacher, uh, like open house back to school night when all the parents would come and sit in the room, as I would always say, let's make a deal. I'm not going to believe everything that – if you don't believe everything your kids say about me, then I won't believe everything your kids are saying about you because they do just – they were just little unfiltered, hilarious, just like hilarious little beings. I just love that interaction. So I definitely miss that piece of – teaching elementary school. Yeah, I think for me, uh, maybe a, not surprisingly, it's a twofold answer, maybe a threefold answer. But I think for me, uh, one thing on, on kind of a more serious note, something that I miss about teaching elementary school is that every single day, no matter if I had a good day or a bad day, when we got in the car to drive home, we felt like there was purpose in our job mm. and we felt good about the work we had done that day. Mm. And not every day was perfect. There were some mm. days where I would teach a math lesson and I could tell that I was completely confusing the kids mm -hmm. and I had to come back the next day and reteach the same lesson and do it better. Um, so I think for me, that would be one is that no matter what we did, and there was even a time in our life where we had to make a decision, do we want to teach one more year of elementary school mm -hmm. or do we want to quit? our jobs and go full-time in photography. And we decided to teach one more year. And the really nice thing is that when we eventually decided to quit teaching and move into photography full-time, we got to look back on a four-year career teaching elementary school and not regret a single day of those four years because mm -hmm. we felt like we made it, we made a real difference in real people's lives. So that would be one. Um, I think for me, another thing that I really enjoyed is, I don't know, 
being the smartest guy in the room all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But there, there's maybe a little bit of truth in that. Um, except I did have a couple of kids that were so, so tack sharp that I, I definitely questioned some days whether I should be teaching science or <laughs> they, they should be teaching science. Um, but I think for me, I, Amy and I both love learning. And so for me, what was exciting about being an elementary school teacher for fifth grade is that we were kind of bouncing from like reading a novel and discussing it to doing long division or kind of entry level algebra or we were learning about like the Civil War. And as a history buff, I loved teaching that stuff. And so I think for me, I just really enjoy the process of learning. And you learn the most when you teach. And so I felt like I was learning right alongside the kids because there will be things that I just hadn't thought about or considered for years. And then we were going back and we were learning those things together. And so I think I really enjoyed that as well. Yeah, I agree with that. I really loved reading discussions and hearing their thoughts and opinions on all of that. It was a really just a really cool special experience. It is humbling, though, to think you're the smartest guy in the room and then it's time to teach science and you're like, Carson, you are actually the smartest guy in the room right now. It's like that. They used to have that show. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? It is amazing. <laughs> Most of the time. How much they know. Not always. <laughs> so do you um, think we've got time for maybe like one yeah, or two? We, yeah, we've got time for a few more. Okay. Um, so let's go to this one. How have you changed since you were first married? Ooh, that is a good one. I would say for me, probably over these past 10 years, one of the biggest changes has been that I've always considered myself an introvert, which you're probably like, what on earth? You have a podcast. How could you call yourself an introvert? Um, but I've always considered myself an introvert. But over the past 10 years, I've learned how to become a professional extrovert, meaning when I started teaching elementary school at age 22. I had just turned 22 on open house back to school night. And I realized the first day when I had all those kids in the room and I was the one in charge, I realized, whoa, if I don't step up and take control in this situation, things could get chaotic really quickly. And so I had to really step outside of my introverted comfort zone in order to be the best teacher that I could be to those kids. And that has been the story ever since of our life. Um, because when it came time to posing couples on wedding days, if I wasn't taking control in that scenario, then the photos wouldn't be as good. And um, when we started teaching uh, photographers. That was another thing that I was like, you know what, I've got to I've got to step up and be a professional extrovert, even though this makes me feel really uncomfortable. Um, t- I get nervous every this time. This is why this podcast is not on video. Yes, I get nervous. every <laughs> Like anytime we get asked to speak at a conference, I get so nervous before we go on stage. I get nervous before we record every single podcast, honestly, um, because there's just like that introverted part of me that would rather just like be in the in the corner of a party talking to one person. And um, I've never been like excited about a big room full of people um, where Jordan is quite the opposite. Um, And so he's always had just like that big personality. The more people in the room, the better. Um, But that's something that I've had to grow into. We walk into a a big ballroom full of people and Amy immediately starts looking for the exits. Yes. Or like the buffet table because then it's like you have something to do with your hands and you, (laughs) you know, it's like it's way less awkward if you're like holding a drink and a plate and a cheese. 
walk in and I'm like, friends. Um, I think for me, I've changed since we got not more, you know, not even since we got married, but I would say since I was 18, we started dating. I think I've changed into, I mean, let's be real. I had way more improving <laughs> that needed to happen than Amy did. That's just kind of a fact of life. Um, and I think for me, I've changed in, in two ways since we got married and really since we started dating. I think one for me is that when I was 18 and kind of, I would say through my college years, but I would say it kind of peaked at 18 and then has been like slowly on a downward trend ever since then is I had a propensity when I was a younger man uh, to become angry much faster. I had a much shorter fuse. I had a, I had a, pr- a propensity to, to raise my voice more often. Um, I had a, ten- a tendency sometimes when I got really mad to express frustration by, you know, punching a pillow, right. Or something like that. And I think for me, um, over the last like 10 or 15 years, and I don't know if it's just age, um, or wisdom. Um, and I think with wisdom comes humility and I've still got a long way to go, but I, a lot of those kind of like, uh, spark kind of tendencies have really, really dwindled. And I just have a a much, much longer fuse now and kind of angry, immature outbursts are very, very few and far between. I think when I was younger, I could count the outbursts um, this week on both hands. And I think in the last five years, I could count you know, all of them on one hand kind of thing. And so it's definitely been an area that I've been trying to recognize and improve on. And I think it was in love, love and respect. I think what really got me was when we were in premarital counseling, we read the book Love and Respect and Emerson Egrich talks about this idea for men specifically that it is a natural thing for men to become angry. That's a kind of a normal thing and kind of the way that we're wired, but that the, the mark of a true man is when he becomes angry and can keep the anger under control. Mm. And that's meekness, right? The, the idea of being meekness, this is kind of cheesy, but meekness isn't weakness. It's power under control. And when I was first ex- exposed to that idea, I realized I've got to make a change. Uh, I've got to make a change in my life that when I start to feel angry, and you can go back and listen to our episode called Five for Fighting, and there's some tips for guys on that. But when I start to feel angry, I've got to figure out a way to calm that down. Um, and I think the other way that I've changed a lot since we since we first got married is when, when I was much younger. And again, remember men's brains aren't fully developed until we're 25. So we're at a disadvantage to women. Um, but I think for me, I was a lot more concerned about being right than I was about winning. And what I mean by that is it was just very easy for me to want to pick a fight, not a physical fight, but to pick a verbal fight over politics, over religion, over, you know, worldview, over philosophy, over whatever. And it was very easy for me to want to pick fights at the dinner table or just kind of all the time. I was kind of always looking for a fight. And I had to realize that in the course of doing that, I turned a lot of people off and I hurt a lot of people's feelings. And I had to realize that not everybody wants to have those kind of debates. Most people don't. And so I learned to restrict those conversations to people I knew enjoyed that and not have those conversations around people that I that I knew didn't enjoy that. And that's helped me just have a lot more relational maturity with friends and family um, and kind of know my audience a little bit better. So that's been a huge point of growth for me is that I don't always have to be right. I would rather win in my relationships with people than like let them know, oh, let them know how smart I am, right? Which really you just look like an idiot kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I would say that's a really good one. Yeah. And, and there was a quote that goes along with that, with that, by the way, which is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And, Ooh, and that so really impacted and affected me and kind of guides the way that I approach people today. It's really good. 
Okay, so here's a fun one. Uh, this will be our last question. I think this is a fun one to end and wrap things up. So what's one fun and unusual fact people don't know about you? Um, oh, you want me to... He's looking at me like, yeah, you should go first. Oh, man. One <laughs> the Enneagram and- 8, I was like, I got two. <laughs> <laughs> one fun and unusual fact. Uh, let's see. Um, I would say one maybe kind of unusual fact is my, my first big celebrity crush was around fourth or fifth grade. I was obsessed with the Backstreet Boys. And particularly, I feel like if you were in in the same era as us, there was like Team Backstreet Boys, Team NSYNC. And if you liked Backstreet Boys, you liked Nick. And if you liked NSYNC, you liked Justin. And if you were like a middle school or high school boy, you liked both, but you didn't dare say it out loud. <laughs> so true. But you would like go home and frost your tips and make them look blonde. Oh, like, I had frosted tips and yeah. puka shells. Oh, I know. I remember. You fell in love with those yeah, I, did. I sure did. Age 14. Hey, hey. Um, so I feel like it was popular to love like Justin from NSYNC or Nick from Backstreet Boys. But my favorite was AJ from the Backstreet Boys, which he's the one with like all the facial hair and all the tattoos, which like if you know me now or knew me ever, it's like such a mismatch. But the reason I loved AJ is because whenever I'd watch the music videos on like the MTV Total Request Live countdown, I thought that AJ was the best dancer. And so that was the reason. I was just in love with his dance And you literally married a guy who couldn't dance. (laughs) But does grow really great facial hair. So I guess I got a little bit of what I was hoping (laughs) for. A plentiful amount of facial hair. Um, I would say for me, uh, a fun and and unusual fact people don't know about me. Let's start with fun and then we'll go to unusual. Um, A fun fact is that when I was a crawler, um, I guess I was like under a year old or right around a year old. Um, I was my mom entered me into a like diaper derby crawling competition inside of Dillard's <laughs> when Dillard's used to be like a thing. <laughs> I think Dillard's is still a thing. Eh, it? it won't be for long. Um, <laughs> sorry, Dillard's. Um, but I can remember uh, I don't remember this, but my mom has told me so much that I feel like I can remember that um, when they like like let, lined up all the babies in their diapers and let them start crawling, my mom explained that like all the babies just kind of started crawling in all directions. And I was like such a chunk of monk and such a big eater when I was little that she just had food at the end where the finish line was. <laughs> and I crawled directly to the food and won the competition. And I had this trophy in my bedroom like my entire life of this like baby <laughs> and a diaper at the top of it because oh I won the diaper derby. Um, so that's one of my claim to fame. Wow. Um, who knew? A, a I champion married, from the beginning. I didn't know I was married to such a champion. <laughs> and then the unusual fact would be when I was again, like all my weird stuff happened around five years old. But when I was around five years old, my mom took my older brother, Nick, my younger brother, Stefan, and me to the mall because there was a Disney sketch artist uh, who was at the mall that day. And you could basically go up to the Disney sketch artist and you could tell them what character you wanted them to do a sketch uh, to, to do a sketch for you. And they would do it. She would do the sketch and then she would write like a personalized note on it. So you would like give her your the sketch you wanted. You'd go shopping, come back later, and she will have sketched it and put it in a frame. And I think my older brother chose something normal. Like I think his was like uh, Donald Duck. Um, and my younger brother, Stefan chose goofy. And so she sketched goofy and wrote a really nice note on it. That was like, I'm goofy about Stefan. Right. And, uh, when it was my turn to say what I wanted sketched, the sketch artist kind of waved my mom over because I had requested Maleficent from sleeping beauty, which is like literally the, <laughs> the dark, creepiest. evil, creepy queen. Um, <laughs> 
And but now if you've seen the Angelina Jolie version, you understand why she was so broken. Um, but but my, the lady kind of asked my mom, like, hey, is this OK? I've never in my life sketching for Disney had a little kid request Maleficent. And my mom said, no, you can. That's his favorite character. And so I had this poster uh, in our house my entire childhood that said, like, to Jordan from the mistress of all evil. Oh and so we had these three photos. We had like Donald Duck, Maleficent and Goofy. So that just speaks to my weirdness as a kid. Man, I mean, I guess you've just been special from the start. <laughs> That's my takeaway from that. Well, I hope you guys have liked this really. It's been a much more lighthearted, uh, but a lot of fun episode for us. So if you have any questions for a future Q&A, uh, go ahead and email them to life at amyandjordan.com or you can uh, shoot us over a DM on Instagram. We love to just keep another running list of this and do another one of these Q&As in the future. Thank you for listening to Life with Amy and Jordan. If this episode was helpful to you, we'd love for you to leave us a review. And if it wasn't, please don't. (laughs) Seriously, a review from you will help us reach more awesome people like you. To get the newest episode as soon as it's available, hit the subscribe button.